Um, are you ready for God's word on this December day? Four of you. All right. Praise the Lord. Is anyone else, maybe someone over on this side ready, you know, praise the Lord. There we go. Ready for the word of God. Why don't you turn with me? You are a mess. Why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter two? And there's something in my heart that I want to share with you. And uh, we're going we're gonna to take it all from different parts of the Christmas story, if you will. So we're going to start in Luke chapter two. And uh, we're going to read there together. Luke chapter two, verse eight, it says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, now do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I bring you great tidings. Good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Um, today, I want to talk along these lines. I call the message, Joy to Your World. Joy to your world. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for the word of God that gives us life, that gives us your wisdom and your words. It's the power of God, Lord, unto salvation. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you for this season, for the sending of your son and God, what it means for all of us, the, the hope and the peace and the joy and the life. Lord, as we lean into the word of God today, speak to our hearts and change our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Joy to the world. We sang it this morning. Joy to the world. This is a season that's supposed to be marked by joy. It's supposed to bring about great joy. Um, and yet, sometimes that's just not the case, isn't it? In fact, a lot of times there's struggle and there's difficulty. When we read about the Christmas story, though, joy is actually a theme that we find, depending on the translation that you use, joy will be in there about eight times. Eight times it talks about joy or rejoicing during this short few verses, really, when you compare it to the whole Bible that we have about the coming of Jesus, it being foretold, and then actually being born. I think a lot of times, especially in our modern culture, I think the reason we struggle so much with the concept of joy is because we confuse many times joy with happiness. We do. And we think, I'll be joyful when I'm happy. Right, And if I were happy, I would be joyful. We almost make them synonymous when really they're not the same at all. Joy and happiness are not the same. Um, happiness, uh, we actually get the word, uh, it, well, the root word for happiness is happen, right? So you, you could say, well, the root word of happenstance is happen. So to give you an idea, happiness, and, and most of us, we know this to be true, happiness many times is based on happenstance. Right? When, when things go really well in a day, you can be happy. When things go really well in maybe a meeting that you have, you could be happy. When things go really well in a relationship, when things go really well at work, when you get a promotion, get a raise, you know, whatever the case may be, when things are going really well, we equate that with happiness. And that is happiness, but that's not joy. Joy is something completely different. See, happiness is based on situation and circumstance. Joy actually can be constant. Because joy is not about what's going on. Joy is something on the internal, inside of us. Joy is internal. Happiness is external. And, and joy is something, believe it or not, joy is something that we can choose because of the goodness of God. Joy is actually more about what we choose than what happens to us. This is a, if you think about it, joy is really a provision. It's, it's really, it, not only is it powerful, but it's actually provided to us. It's a promise. It's the fruit of the Spirit is joy. See, many times happiness comes by striving. Joy comes by surrendering. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Paul wrote this to the Philippians. In fact, Philippians is kind of tagged the joy book or the joy letter. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. Um, and this is what Paul tells them. 
Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What's intriguing about this is Paul is talking to the Philippians, but he is writing this letter. Most people know this. He's writing this letter from prison. He is under arrest. And he's writing to the Philippians. He's saying, hey, let me tell you something. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, if you didn't hear me the first time, let me say it one more time. Come on, how many had a southern mama? I'm going to tell you one more time. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He, he wasn't saying if your circumstance is a particular way. He wasn't saying if everything's lined up the way you want it to be lined up, if things are going the way that you want them to go. He was just simply saying, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to rejoice. See, happiness is about what happens to me. Joy is about what I choose no matter what happens. Joy is actually a choice. We know it's a choice because he told us to do it. Right? When we talk about love, see, love's not a choice. Love's a decision. Love's a commitment. Right? That's why the Bible can tell us to love. It's, it's a command, really. It's something we can choose to do. God can't, he can't command us or tell us the Bible. Scripture can't tell us to do something that's not in our power to do. Even, and, and if it isn't beyond our power to do, it's because he has granted the provision or the grace to do it. And that is where we get to Philippians 4, what he says, rejoice. He's saying, hey, here's the great thing. Because of the gospel, because of the goodness of God, because of the spirit of God, here's what I'm telling you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, you can choose joy. And then he gives us this, this little pro tip to joy. You don't rejoice because you're joyful. If you rejoice, it will bring joy. Because rejoicing changes our focus and focuses on the things that are worthy of celebrating. Are you with me? And so he says, choose joy. No matter what you're facing, you're in prison today. Choose joy, right? Now we know there are things that, um, can we say, bring joy to our lives? And we know there are things that can take joy from our lives. Maybe we could say it this way. Just have fun with the analogy because it's the holidays. There are people that bring joy to our lives. And there are people who, they're joy suckers, man. I, yeah, I don't know what you call them. I don't, I don't know. It's Eeyore, you know. I lost my tail. You know, they get around you. They're just going to pull the joy right out of your life. But there are things that promote joy. There are also things that block joy, restrict it, hinder it in our lives. I want to talk to you about three of those. Three things that are really, three things that will take joy from you. And here's the great thing. I'm going to give you three things that you're in control of. Three things that you can choose that will change. Three things that will determine the amount of joy you have in this season. So however you came in today, whatever's going on today, right? I'm going to give you something you can do today that will make a difference. Yes, by the power of God's grace, by the power of his spirit, but he has given that to us to do. I'm going to give you these three things. Are you ready? Number one is you can choose joy over worry. You can choose joy over worry. Did you know we choose to worry? You know, we do. Just like you choose to worship. Worry is really just worship aimed at the wrong thing. It really is. And, and, and did you know that's a, that's a decision that, that we make? I, I had a granny, my granny. Um, that'd be my mom's mom. We called her granny, granny and pop. Um, she was an expert worrier. She knew how to choose worry. She could worry about things you hadn't thought about worrying about. I never forget, I was, I don't know, I was about 20 years old. I was going on a mission trip to the Philippines. Now, I had to get a map and show Granny where the Philippines were because my granny, I love my granny, but she had not been far. She was born in Oklahoma, lived in Texas, had a little stint out in California uh, when, when the, they moved out there. So really, she had not, she was this, she had never been on an airplane. 
you know, this is my granny. And, um, and I love my granny, but she was so funny because I went out and said, and I'm so excited, granny, I'm going to the Philippines. Honey, where's that? It's over there. She said, honey, why would you do that? Why would you go to the, are you trying to give your granny a heart attack? <laughs> then she said this, I just said, I'm going on a missions trip. My granny says, honey, that is why we have missionaries. <laughs> so you don't have to go on a mission trip. She said, do you know how much I'm going to worry for the next two weeks? you know how much I'm going to worry? She's a professional worry. Sometimes we're professional worriers. When we look at the Christmas story, we look at this from the Christmas story. This is talking about Mary, but it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said, Rejoice. Look, watch this. Rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, look at this, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. It's interesting that just as joy is a theme in the Christmas story, fear is too. Joy, rejoicing, those, those words, they, they appear eight times. Fear, do not be afraid, appears six times in the Christmas text. But look what the angel said. She said, don't be afraid, rejoice. Did you know you get to choose? Can, can I just tell you that the truth of it is, whether you rejoice or you're joyful, or whether you fear or you're anxious, has to do with who you want to partner with who you want to agree with. If I want to agree with culture and the world, let me say it this way, the enemy of my soul who wants me to live in fear, the bondage of fear and anxiety, it's just all about who I'm in agreement with. I can be in agreement with what the enemy says about my life and I'll be anxious. I can be in agreement with what God says about my life. That's how I choose joy. I choose to rejoice in, in God alone. Um, in 2018, there was a study done and, um, it was a study around this time of year. And here's what it found. It discovered that 88% of adults during the holiday season were stressed and anxious. 88, this was pre-pandemic. Post-pandemic, it's like 110% of adults. <laughs> Yeah, four out of three people don't math well. Some of you didn't even get it, did you? 88% is 2018 survey. 88% stressed and anxious during the holiday season. I mean, there's not a lot of percents left. I was like, 88% pretty good grade. I had to pass any class, you know, 80%. You know, now it probably is 98%. It's incredible. And I thought how interesting it is that a season that was marked by joy, that a season that every year should remind us that we can live in, the, in, 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 in really the reality or the experience that we can be joyful and joyous, no matter what. In that season, people are more stressed and more anxious. And you know, we, are, we all are more stressed and more anxious than any time of year. And I thought about, well, what's the answer? Well, one of the texts we use when we talk about anxiety, we talk about stress, we talk about fear. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I've heard it said, and I've probably said it, that, that man, look at this. You, you know, here is this text. Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's in prison. He's talking about joy. 
And he gives us this nugget, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious, but in everything, pray. You know, it is truthful. It is truthful. You can't be joyful and anxious at the same time. Right? And I thought, wouldn't it be great if it were truthful that you can't pray and be anxious at the same time? But the truth is you can because you can pray anxious prayers. Sometimes if we're not careful, we just, <laughs> I was about to say we take our anxiety to God, but that's not true. We're just anxious around God, right? Taking our anxiety would almost, to God would almost infer that we, we take our fear to God and leave it with him. But truthfully, sometimes we pray and we're anxious when we pray and we're just as anxious when we're finished praying because we've explained to God everything that's out of control or going wrong or not right or everything we're afraid of we never received from him what we needed. We just explained to him how anxious we were. Isn't that the truth? We're not careful. And so the truth of the matter is, it's not just the prayer that makes the difference. It's not just the prayer that combats anxiety. Really, what the picture of these two verses is, is a picture of trust. It's talking about, hey, pray about everything. Give thanks to God. In other words, put your trust in Him. Because here's, here's where joy is going to come. When I can trust God with what I can't control. I'm going to say that again because it's really good. I just want to make sure you're writing it down. Here's where joy is going to begin in our lives. When we trust God with what we can't control. The truth of the matter is, when we're talking about anxiety, anxiety is typically usually tied to control in one or two ways. Anxiety comes when we can't control things. Are there any control freaks in this room? There's a couple hands like, you finally got me, preacher, I'm here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Right? I've been guilty of this in my life. I don't know about you, but I have a good plan for anything. I have an opinion about everything. And it's the best opinion because my opinion. Oh, don't act like you're not the same. <laughs> don't act like. But the truth of the matter is when we're a control freak and we want to control it, what happens when we can't control things? We have to worry about what we can't control. And we have to become anxious about what could happen because we can't control what's going on. So anxiety is tied to control because many times anxiety is about worrying and, and thinking about things we can't control. Also, anxiety can be about not controlling things you can control, right? Some people are anxious about their finances when they could control their budget. Well, that was good preaching, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Merry Christmas. But many times anxiety is tied to the things, is a control, is things we, we probably should control that we're not controlling, or it's things we can't control. And many times it's tied to things we can't control. Look, look at what Mary, Mary says right here in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, this is at the conclusion of talking to Gabriel. She says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Here's what, here's what Mary decided to do. Mary decided to trust God's plan over her plan. Now that's, listen, that's so easy said. But can we be honest, that is not easily done. Do you know why? Because you know your plan and we don't always know God's plan. Right? Like I can really wrap my brain around my plan. It's hard sometimes for me to wrap my brain around God's plan. Isn't that the truth? And now we know that's why we stay up all night in it, trying to wrap our brain around God's plan or trying to wrap our brain around why it didn't go according to our plan. Can I say, when it comes to holidays, there is no other time of year when things don't go according to plan. Come on, Clark Griswold, for real. Somebody's like, for real. I'm feeling you, brother. Anyways... Come on, Clark, right? Like, Cousin Eddie's going to show up even though you didn't tell him about it? 
right? You're not going to get the bonus. You're going to get the Jelly of the Month Club. It's a year that keeps on giving, Clark, the whole year round. Are you with me? Like, it's not going to go. Aunt Bethany, instead of saying grace, is going to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Uncle Lewis is going to catch the tree on fire, and the cat's going to get electrocuted. There are just sometimes, many times, this time of year, no matter how much we had the good old-fashioned Clark W. Griswold Christmas planned out in our brain, it doesn't go that way, Right? But here's where anxiety comes in, trying to control things I can't control. And here's what we can do because of the grace of God. The grace of God says this, that when I can't control, I can trust. When I can't control, I can trust who is in control. I can choose to trust him. I may not always have the power to control, but I always have the power to trust. I may not always have the power to control, but I always have the power to surrender to the grace of God, to the goodness of what Mary said, let it be to me. God, you work your plan. Whether I understand it, whether I know it, whether it makes sense to me, I'm going to trust God in your plan over my plan. And when Mary makes that declaration, I'm going to trust you. Look at what else she says just a few verses later. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is the choice she made. I don't understand, God, how I'm going to have a baby, and I haven't been with a man. I don't understand that, God. I don't understand what that's going to mean to Joseph. I don't understand what's... Now we've got to find a, a, a camel seat for the baby, and, and, and we're not even married yet. Like, I don't even know what this is going to mean. But here's what she said. Instead of being afraid... I will rejoice in God, my Savior. I will rejoice in God. One version says, my spirit finds joy in God. Let me ask you a question. What are you trying to find joy in this season? What are you trying to find joy in this season? Now, I know we know the answer, but if you were talking to you and you weren't listening... And truthfully, you were honest. What have you been trying to find joy in? Because Mary said, here's the secret. I will rejoice in God, my Savior. I'm going to choose joy over worry. Here's the next one. Oh, it only goes downhill from here. <laughs> choose joy over resentment. Oh, pastor, you got to go there. It's Christmas. I got to go there because I want you to have a Merry Christmas. I got to go there. Choose joy over resentment. Just like you can't be anxious and joyful, you can't be resentful and joyful. Right? You know, when you put the suffix full on a word, you know what full means? Nothing else. You're full. Right? Does that make sense? Full. So think about this. We want to be full of joy. Well, you can't be full of resentment because when you're full of resentment, there's no room for joy. Right? Let's look at Joseph because when I thought about this, I thought about Joseph. And, and I know, listen, I know we know the story. Let me, okay, we know the story, right? Spoiler alert, Mary was really pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? God makes Mary pregnant, right? Mary has baby Jesus. He's the king of the world. We know the story. But you got to remember, they don't know the story. They didn't have the New Testament. They were living the story, Right? And you have to remember, we, we have heard of the Immaculate Conception, right? We have heard of this, and we have faith that that was the Son of God conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit, was Jesus Christ the Messiah, became the Savior of the world, died on the cross for us. We believe that we're here, right? They weren't ready for all that. They were ready for all that. So you got to understand, in their world, the Christmas story was not as neat and tidy as, it, as we make it in our world, right? Because, you know, we how many have a nativity scene somewhere in your house? I have a nativity scene on my sofa table. I love it. Um, and, and it's so nice because there's little, little Jesus, and he has a little halo, and he's sleeping, right? He's sleeping. You know, 
away in a manger. You know, what's that? No crib for a bed. And it says, no sound he makes. First of all, if you've ever had a baby, you know that song's lying. <laughs> that song's a liar. In fact, there's some Christmas. I love Christmas music. I'm a big Christmas elf, but there's a few that I'm wondering about. Like, number one, the little drummer boy. Because every new mother that just gave birth to their first child and they're doing that in a barn loves for a little boy to show up with a drum and a rum-pum-pum-pum all night. <laughs> first of all, that's not what they love. Little drum boy got straight up shot in some places. <laughs> right? And then the do you hear what I hear? Have y'all listened to the lyrics of that song? The fox and lamb cried out, you know, like, do you hear what I hear? And then it starts talking about how the, the, how, <laughs> how the animals are talking. Who wrote that song, Ben Shepherd, that feel too long by themselves? <laughs> it's wonderful, the nativity that we have and how neat, you know, you have your shepherds and you always have your three wise men because there were three gifts and you have Joseph and he's very proud and Mary is very angelic and baby Jesus is sleeping. But that is not how this went down. No, that's not how this went down. I mean, this woman was eight, nine months pregnant riding on a donkey. She wasn't happy. She was not happy, right? The Magi actually, wise men didn't get there until Jesus probably two or three. The shepherds were scared to death and they showed up. I mean, it's in a major because Joseph forgot to, to, to make reservations. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a mess. But then you got to think even before that, even before that, here we have Joseph, and he is engaged to Mary. Joseph was older. We don't know exactly how old. Most uh, theologians believe Mary to be a teenager, maybe 14, 15, young teenager, 14, 15 years old. She's now engaged uh, to Joseph. In their culture, it was a year-long process, so there's the formal engagement, which is almost in a way like half a wedding ceremony, and then there's the culmination. That, so it's like a year-long wedding ceremony in a way, just trying to make it make sense. So it's a little different than our current engagement. Like, like they are betrothed, like this engagement, and then they have a year to prepare and then the culmination of, of, the, of the wedding. And they're in that process. And then Mary shows up pregnant. Now we have the text, so we're seeing behind the scenes. We have the narration to know what's happening, that Mary's visited by an angel. Now the angel said the Holy Spirit is going to cause you to conceive and bring forth a son. You're going to wrap him in swallowing clothes and lay him in a manger. You know, it's like we have the whole narrative here. Joseph did not have the narrative. Joseph is over there hardworking, trying to get the house ready for his new bride. Mary's over here saying yes to the dress. The dress did not have room for the womb. And then all of a sudden, God shows up with his plan. Mary says, yes, now she's pregnant. And then Joseph finds out she's pregnant. It's time out. He doesn't know the story. He doesn't know about the angel. And first of all, even if Mary told him the story, and you're Joseph, are y'all tracking with me? Joseph, I'm pregnant. What? It's okay, though, because I was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and in my womb is the Son of God. Uh-uh. <laughs> Straight up, no. Don't blame this on God, Mary. You can't be blaming this on God. Uh-uh. Like, how many, let's just be honest, if you're Joseph, you're not biting on, yeah, I had a cousin one time too, that same story. You know, you're not biting on that. You're not going to go for that business. And so here's the thing. Think about the emotion. Now we know that the angel of the Lord, God's going to speak to Joseph, right? We know that's coming, but it didn't come immediately. So here's the thing. What is that emotion looking like for Joseph? I'm, I'm engaged to be married. We're in this process. And uh-oh, Mary's pregnant. And, and now not only is she pregnant, she's crazy. Because <laughs> she's trying to blame this on God and saying God's the Father and is the Holy Spirit. Can, and what in the world? And don't you think in that moment, Joseph had to deal with some anger? And 
some resentment and some unforgiveness? I mean, we know God's going to show up and straighten it all out. But until God showed up to straighten it all out, don't you think those were real things that Joseph had to deal with? Look at how he deals with it, though. Check this out. Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. As his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, Joseph's not reading this. He doesn't have the narrative. Here's what Joseph did. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. That tells me a lot about Joseph. Do you know what that tells me? Joseph chose to forgive quickly. That's what that tells me. Because here is his fiance. She's found to be a child. She has this crazy story. And there's a lot that he could have done to embarrass her in the community. There's a lot of things he could have done to get even with her. A lot of things he could have posted on social. So everybody knew he did everything right and she did everything wrong. But instead, he decided to quietly, and it would have been called a divorce in their culture, he decided to quietly divorce her and bring no shame to her. What that tells me is he wasn't resentful. What that tells me is he wasn't holding a grudge. And what it tells me is he chose to forgive and he chose to forgive quickly. If you want a secret to joy, choose to forgive quickly. Choose to forgive quickly. And one of the ways we choose to forgive quickly means we forgive before they ask us for forgiveness. Because here's the sad truth. They may never ask. Right? But even if they don't ask us for forgiveness, we can choose to forgive quickly. See, truthfully, forgiveness is a gift from God. It is a gift from God to us. Because in forgiveness, right? In forgiveness, I have the capacity to detach myself from what all, not only what was done, but who did it. Because do you realize when you hold and you harbor resentment, essentially when you choose not to forgive, you're still tied to whoever they are and whatever they did. And you're still tied to exactly what happened to you. And you can be as resentful as you want to. You can be as angry as you want to. You can be as bitter as you want to because unforgiveness produces resentment. Resentment produces bitterness. Bitterness, resentment will not change what happened, but it will change you. And we know it's true because everybody's been trapped on a trip or in a house or in a car or somewhere with a bitter person. <laughs> we got a lot of freedom today. The joy of the Lord's our strength. Praise the Lord. Right? Haven't we all been around that person? They are just so bitter. And you're not with them more than three minutes and you're like, dear God, get me out of here. I'm going to strangle because they go back to what happened and back to everything that's happened and how blah, blah, blah. And, and you're just like, oh! And they're just bitter. Bitterness doesn't change what happened. It just changed who they were. See, here's, here's the powerful thing. Forgiveness frees you from them and from what they did. See, until you forgive, they're still in control of your life. Why would you let someone who sinned against you, who hurt you, who had no regard for you, stay or remain in control of your life? Well, we wouldn't if we think about it, but that's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness leaves them in power. And see, here's the truth of it. Forgiveness, again, forgiveness doesn't change what was done. It just frees me from it. It doesn't change what was done. It changes how it affects me going forward. It's, it's powerful when we forgive. Now, here's, here's a couple things about forgiveness that we know that we just need to talk to. Number one is forgiveness is not earned. It's not called for earnness. 
Come on. Come on, somebody. Because sometimes that's what we think, don't we? We think, well, when they do enough, say enough, repent enough, they're sorry enough. I had to never forget, I had a guy come to me, he's a pastor, he was part of our church years ago. They eventually transferred and moved, but he said, can I meet with you? I said, sure. And he came by to meet with me, big burly guy. And he started telling the story of someone that had sinned against him and uh, how he chose not to forgive them for years. And I said, okay, well, why are you here? He said, I'm here because they finally apologized and I'm not any better. And this is why I said, their apology won't change anything. Your forgiveness is what changes it. And your forgiveness can change it whether they apologize or not. Because, see, them apologizing still doesn't change what was done. Yeah, it may help you feel better in a way, right? But the truth was, he said, I'm stuck because they finally came back and they apologized and I'm still just as mad and I'm still just as resentful and I'm still just as bitter. And I said, it's because you didn't forgive. You didn't forgive quickly. I understand sometimes there are big hurts and big traumas and big things. And I understand sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes forgiveness is a little bit of a process because we got to work on it, right? Because what, what was done was so egregious or so hurtful. And truthfully, I'd love to just, I forgive. But truthfully, it takes a little bit more than that. But here's what I'm saying. Are you working on it? Or is forgiveness something you're going to get around to? Because you can't be joyful and be resentful at the same time. You know what I'm reminded of many times, and I've said this, but Jesus died for my sin, right? He died for what I'd done wrong. But you know what else? And, 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 and that's, how I'm, that's how I'm forgiven. He died for my sin, and because of his grace... I can be forgiven. It's not something I earn, is it? None of us can earn forgiveness for our sin. None of us can, can in any way merit the grace of God and being our, our debt, if you will, our sin debt completely canceled out. But, but God freely gave his son. It's by grace that we've been saved. By his grace, we've been forgiven. He has given that to us. We didn't earn it. That's why it's called forgiveness. He died for my sin. He also died for your sin. And he also died for the sin that others have committed against you. Just like he died for the sins I committed against God. In fact, crazy picture here. Jesus died for the sin that was committed against him that brought about his death. He died for the people that literally killed him. He was paying for their sin while they were killing him. It's an incredible picture when you think about the grace and the goodness of God and his freely given. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He died for the sin of the world. He died for my sin committed against God. He died for your sin committed against God. He died for the sins that were committed against him. And he died for the sin that was committed against you. He died for the one who sinned against you. He paid for their sin. Here's the crazy thing. If he paid for their sin and he will freely forgive their sin, how can we not freely forgive them as well? It's something we choose. Now, here's the trick to forgiveness. Forgiveness is not from the mouth. It's from the heart. Wouldn't it be so good if it's from the mouth? I forgive them. Let's go with your life. But the truth is you have to forgive them from your heart. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is teaching on forgiveness. He's teaching on forgiving others. And he's teaching on the penalty for not forgiving others. And he talks about two servants. One servant owed his master. Um, let me make sure I get the, the amounts right. I made a note. He owed his master 10,000 talents. 
right? And his master forgives him the debt. He couldn't pay it. The master forgives him the debt, 10,000 talents. Then he immediately goes to a, a, a peer who's a servant who owes him a hundred denarii, but he can't pay it. And he has him thrown in prison until he can pay the debt. And his master hears about it and says, how in the world? I, 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 I forgive you 10,000 talents. He owes you a hundred denarii. Now, I understand we're like, well, what do those amounts mean? You know, because we're not in their culture. It's talents to denarii, you know. Um, so I put it in time because I couldn't do the math. Inflation changes so much these days I couldn't do the math for it. But it's a bad joke. Anyways, um, if, you, if you put it this way, 100 denarii and then 10,000 talents, 10,000 talents would have been uh, 60 million denarii. So it's 100, you could just put it in dollars for some math, $100 versus 60 million. Right? Or if you want to put it in time in their culture, 100 denarii would be about four months labor. Um, 60 million denarii, I think, is about 100 or 200,000 years to pay that debt off. And he says, and because he, he, when he was forgiven, wouldn't forgive the debt, he was forgiven this massive debt, he wouldn't forgive this minuscule debt, he was then thrown into. The, the prison, if you will, and tortured, apparently, as Jesus tells the parable. And then Jesus says this. He says, verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 35, chapter 18 says, so my heavenly father will also do to each of you if from his heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. From his heart. And this is where he tells us. He's like, I mean, he tells us a penalty when we don't forgive others, we're tormented. And that's just the truth. When you don't forgive, you're tormented for forever by those people and what they did. But then he tells us the secret is it's not just what we say, but it's from our heart. How do I know when I've forgiven from my heart? When my heart wants good for them. When my heart doesn't want bad for them. When my heart doesn't want to get even with them. When I can pray for my enemies. Right? I understand sometimes those prayers start through gritted teeth. Lord, I just want just bless him. Just bless him so good. I understand that sometimes is how it happens. But forgiveness, listen, forgiveness is not from the mouth, it's from the heart. So I have to choose joy over resentment. Here's the third thing. I want to choose joy over, oh, this is a fun one, jealousy. Oh, jealousy. In the Christmas story, there's this character who is, there, there's, there's Jesus, the king of kings, but the Christmas story talks about Herod, who's the jealous king, right? In fact, if you want a great sermon, there's the joyous kings, the jealous king, and the just king. The joyous, the joyous kings are the wise men. The jealous king is Herod, and the just king is Jesus, but I want to talk about the jealous king, Matthew 2, verse 1. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and come to worship him. And when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled. Do you know why? You know what he thought? They came and they said, where's the king of the Jews? Now, first of all, we'll talk about this man. Herod is He's the king of the Jews. He's a client king under Roman authority, but he's the king of the Jews. That's his job. But then they said, we've seen his star. And I think what Herod thought, where's my star? Why don't I have a star? Why aren't you looking for my star? See, here's what you need to know about Herod. He was a madman. He was a jealous man. He was an ambitious man. Uh, he came to power as the governor of Nazareth when he was in his 20s. And then he kind of used some family ties with Mark Anthony, who was in power over Rome, um, and kind of manipulated some of the geopolitical climate between Rome and Parthia. And that's how he became the client king of Jerusalem when Mark Anthony came to power. And then when Caesar Augustus overthrew Mark Anthony, 
he manipulated and lobbied essentially and, and stayed in power as the client king, meaning he was put there by Rome to rule over the Jews, but he was employee of Rome. Um, his dad was an Edomite. His mom was Jewish. Um, and he was just, he was just a, a bad, just a bad man. Um, he, <laughs> he either murdered or exiled all of his wives Although history records, his favorite wife was a woman named Miriam. Um, Miriam was Jewish. And uh, history records that he did murder most of his wives, exiled the rest, but it did make him sad that he killed her. <laughs> that after he had killed her, he was a little bit regretful. But he killed her and her family and even some of his own children because he was scared they were going to challenge his throne. He was just, he was, he was crazy. He, you know, and, and here's what you need to know. Herod the Great, he's known as, there's five Herods in scripture. He was known as Herod the Great, <laughs> but that title was self-proclaimed. It's just his Instagram handle, y'all. <laughs> At King Herod, Herod the Great. You know what I'm saying? Like, like um, he was a great builder. He, bought, he built Masada. But Masada was actually, most people don't know this, it's an incredible spa, and it's a but it's actually a fortress. It was a place for him to go to be safe if someone tried to overthrow him. Then he built Caesarea, which is a port city. It's incredible. But he built that to stay in good with Caesar. Thus, he named it Caesarea, named after Caesar. And then to stay in good with the Jews, he expanded the Temple Mount, and he built what is known as the Wailing Wall, which is really a retaining wall for which, when they expanded the Temple Mount. And so he was just doing this constantly. All he wanted was power to stay in power, and he was so scared somebody was going to have something he didn't have, have a power that he didn't have. He was insanely jealous. In fact, this, this is kind of crazy. Um, Herod um, right after the massacre of the innocents. So, you know, not only was he jealous about the fact that he didn't have a star. That's my biblical imagination. But in an effort, when the wise men don't return because he wanted the wise men to tell him where Jesus was because he was going to kill Jesus because he's like, I don't want him challenging my throne. And when they didn't, most people know the Massacre of the Innocents where he began to kill Jewish boys who were under the age of two, two or under. Now, history, we, we don't, history tells us it was probably 25 or less boys who were actually murdered, still atrocious. Um, but right after the Massacre of the Innocents, Herod falls sick. He's ill. And he's terribly ill, has horrible symptoms. To this day, they do studies to try to figure out exactly what he had. But here's what's crazy. Knowing he's about to die, he has his own son, who's the heir, Antipater, has him murdered. Because they were already saying, Herod has been great, Antipater will be greater. And he had him murdered so he wouldn't take over his throne. And then, I, I couldn't verify it as fact, but one of the stories is, that he rounded up many of the devout men of Jerusalem and said, upon my death, execute all these men because I want to make sure there's crying in the streets of the city the day I die. And he was worried no one would actually mourn him. He was, y'all, jealousy makes you crazy. Like, it makes you Crazy. And you know where we get jealousy from a lot of times? Comparison. Many times comparison is where jealousy begins. And we live in a culture where there's an opportunity for comparison constantly in the palm of your hand. Isn't that true? It's true, isn't it? And if we're not careful, we all fall. Years ago, I got off social media for a time. Do you know why I got off social media? Because I was struggling with comparison. Because I'd feel really good about whether it's about my, the, the ministry or the church or my life. I'd be feeling really good about it. And I get on social media and I thought, I don't have one of those. I don't have a star. Why do they have a star and I don't have a star? God, why don't you give them a star? You could have given me a star. And, 
and, and it was so creating this comparison problem in my life that I just turned it all off. I said, you know what? I don't need that. It's just too much. But the truth of the matter is, is it crazy? Listen, when we start comparing ourselves with other people, it produces one of two things, superiority or inferiority, right? If I compare myself with someone, and sometimes we do this, isn't it true? Let's just be honest. Sometimes we compare ourselves with someone in an area where they're not doing as well as us just so we can feel better. Oh, come on, y'all. But then what happens when that comparison turns the other way, right? Because now I'm superior. I'm doing better than them in this one area. I mean, the survey was tied to just, the, you know what I'm saying? Like, we want to tell all you, but right here. I'm doing better than them right there. And it produces superiority or pride. But what about when I compare myself with someone else who's doing what I perceive to be better than me? Well, now there's inferiority and insecurity and, and fear. And here's what happens when I start comparing myself and I start getting jealous, right? Because it's one thing I start comparing myself with other people. What happens when I start comparing my stuff with other people's stuff? When I start comparing my life with someone else's life? And isn't it true? I mean, we know it's, it's the social media trap, and I'm not against social media. I'm on there. We can be friends. But I'm just saying... We know it's a social media trap, but that opportunity exists every moment of every day for me to make a comparison about my life against someone else's life. But the truth is, I don't see the story behind the picture, right? Just like I don't put all my junk on social media. That's not, of course, it's like none of us should put our, but there, we all have, okay, let's be, we all have the one person that overshares on social media, don't we? It's like we mute their account. We don't tell them, but we mute it. Because it's just too much to deal with. Like, sister, why you got, I didn't need to know that. I didn't need to know any of that right there. You're oversharing again. You know, I don't, I'm not on Twitter, but the thing I loved about Twitter is uh, back in the day, it was 140 characters. I'm like, if it takes you more than that to say it, you need to call. Don't put that out there. All right, but... But the truth is, we don't see all of everybody's life, but we see this picture and we make a comparison. And if we're not careful, it produces jealousy and then discontentment. You know what's sad is when I get jealous of what everybody else has, I never enjoy what I have. Like jealousy steals joy. I can't be full of jealousy and full of joy at the same time. And I'll tell you something else is sad. When I get jealous of what someone else has, in a way, I'm telling God I'm not happy with the job he's doing in my life. Let's say it another way. God, I'm not happy with what you gave me. I'd rather have what you gave them. But you don't know what the price was for what that is. I've known many people that if, I've known many people have many friends that if you looked on the outside of their life and you looked and you said, oh, they're successful and they're this and they're that, and yet they're walking through very difficult things that no one will ever know about. And if you just compare this part to this part, you're like, I want their life. But if you saw what they were having to walk through, you'd be like, and to be honest, they would tell you, I'd rather give up the success. I'd rather give up the stuff. I'd rather give up all this if I could change this right here. But this is something I'm having to walk through by the grace of God. And we don't see that. It's not posted on social media. And so the truth of the matter is, if we're not careful, jealousy kills joy. In fact, I think I know what killed Herod and I know it because of the Bible. I read an article where med students still study King Herod to try to figure out and diagnose how he died because he was, his body was riddled with disease. Here's, here's what I think killed him. It comes from Proverbs 14.30. It says this, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. I think that's what cost Herod his life. And I don't want it to cost you, not only your life, I don't want it to cost your holiday season. It's Christmas, y'all. Joy to the world. Let me give you the remedy really quickly. The remedy for jealousy, if you want one. Romans one twenty one says, for all they, although they knew God, somebody say they knew God. 
So it's not talking about unbelievers, it's talking about people who knew God. This is Paul. They didn't honor him. They didn't give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. And look what happened. Here was the root. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. Look, they exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Let me give you this remedy really quickly. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor him. They didn't give thanks to him. They became futile in their minds. And it's all based on this comparison. Number one, remedy for joy, glorify God. Glorify God. It says they didn't honor God. They didn't glorify God. Um, let me give you glorify. Sometimes it's like, well, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> let me give you another word, magnify. Magnify God. Magnify God. See, the reality is, and, and, here's, and you say, well, how do I do that? Change your focus. It says they exchanged the image of God for the image of all these created things. The image of God for all these created things, right? Um, what were they doing? They changed their focus. Magnify means to make bigger, right? And whatever you focus on gets bigger. And this is a season too many times we're focused on the wrong things. Come on, it's like the Red Rider BB guns, all we can think about. Right? I know everybody's telling me I'm going to shoot my eye out, but it's all I can think about. 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 Just if I'm going to write an assignment at school, I'm going to write about the Red Rider BB gun. If I can daydream, I'm going to daydream about the Red Rider BB gun. All I can think about, and this is what happens in our lives. We get our focus off of God and we get focused and we make that thing big. We make it big in our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll make our lives incomplete without it. We'll make it so big, our life can't be complete without it. And then we're jealous of it and jealous for it and jealous of everyone who has it because I need the Red Rider BB gun. We magnify, we make it bigger. And so here's the remedy, here's the remedy. The truth is, I don't need Jesus plus something, I just need Jesus, right? I don't need Jesus plus something, I don't want something to get magnified in my, in my face. See, the truth of the matter is, things can be a constant, but what happens is we magnify them. See, we make it bigger means we get focused on it. How does it get bigger? It gets right up here, I can't see anything else. I got to have this. My life's incomplete without it. They have one. I want one. And, and here's what Paul's saying. No, glorify God. Magnify God. This is what Mary said. My soul does magnify the Lord. I rejoice in God, my Savior. Right? How do I find joy? I magnify God. I make him bigger. I let him be my focus. It's not Jesus and something. It's just Jesus. Here, here's the second thing is I become thankful. So they didn't honor God. They didn't give thanks. I become thankful. I become thankful. See, jealousy happens when I get ungrateful about what I don't have. Jealousy makes me ungrateful because I don't have it. Thanksgiving is just the opposite. Thanksgiving says I'm so happy with what I do have. I'm so content with what I do have. God, thank you for what I do. Instead of letting jealousy and envy build up resentment and tell God he's not giving you what he gave someone else, he's not doing for you what he did for someone else, this is where we go to God and say, God, you're so good. Look at what you've given me. Look at what you blessed me with. Look at what I have. Like if you want to live, enjoy, live a life of gratitude. And gratitude is simply a grace attitude. It means I don't deserve even what I have. I sure don't deserve what I don't have. Everything I have is a good and perfect gift that God has given me and I will be thankful for it. I will be thankful for what God has given me. If you're struggling this holiday season, one thing you do, go home and write your 10 things you're thankful for today. 10 things, and then stop and thank God for them. 
This needs to be a discipline in our lives. We, we rarely do this. So many times we're praying about the things God hasn't done. We forget to thank God for what he has done. When we're talking even about anxiety, going back to anxiety, thankfulness helps you with anxiety. He said, be anxious. Paul said, be anxious for nothing but everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Why? Because thanksgiving changes my focus. Thanksgiving increases my faith and trust with thanksgiving. Give thanks. And the last thing he said, renew your mind. He said their minds became, they didn't honor God. They didn't give thanks. Their minds were futile. Colossians gives us this secret. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of earth. If you really want joy, you, sometimes you got to pull your mind off of the problems of earth. You got to pull your mind off the situations. You got to turn off CNN. Turn off Fox News. That stuff will kill you. Right? I don't know why it is. There's no good news in our country, apparently, according to the networks. It just feels like bad news. Sometimes I just, I got I to gotta change my mindset and I got to focus on eternity, on the grace of God, on the goodness of God, on eternal salvation, on redemption, on the things that God has done for me today and in the days to come and for all eternity. I've got to set my mind on things that are above. And then, then I can be thankful. Then I can rejoice saying, God, I have salvation. God, I have redemption. God, this is all going to work out according to your plan. God, you've given me everything that I need. God, I am secure in you. I am held by your grace. I have salvation and eternal life. And I'm going to be content and happy with what I have because look what you have done for me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Listen, we actually can, can control joy in our lives because we can choose. We can make choices. And I can choose joy over worry. I can choose to trust. I can choose joy over resentment. I can choose to forgive. And I can choose joy over jealousy. I can magnify God. I can be thankful for what I have. I can set my mind on things that are above. Amen. Will you give God praise today for his goodness? Why don't you stand? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And if you're on a prayer team serving today, I want you to come. We end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer for anything, no matter what it is, we would love and be honored to pray with you and for you. And now I just want us all to bow our heads if we can and take a moment. And we end all of our services just by offering and giving God an opportunity to speak to us. And that's what I want us to do. With our heads bowed, would you take a moment just where your head bowed and say, God, what are you saying to me today? I want us to do that. God, what are you speaking to me? God, I pray you would speak to every person. God, as we've gathered here today, we want to hear you. And so God, as we pause and just say, what are you speaking to me? God, I pray you would speak. God, and we would hear from you. While our heads are bowed, no one's looking around. We sang during worship, we sang about receiving the king. Pastor Jadav exhorted that the gift of God is only beneficial when we receive. I know we didn't really talk this way, but we did talk about forgiveness. And today, if you need to receive Jesus... King of Kings, if you need to receive forgiveness for anything you've done, any sin you've committed, if you want a relationship with God, I'd love to pray for you. Whether you're in this room or you're online, I invite you. If that's you and you're like, man, I know, I just feel this in my heart. I want a relationship with God. I need to be forgiven. I, I want to know Him. If that's you, I, before we get out of here, I just want to pray. I wouldn't call you out or embarrass you. I just want to pray for you so no one's looking around. It's really just you and the Lord. But if that's you and you want prayer, why count to three? I just want you to lift your hand up. That'd just help me know, but it's not for me. It's really for God. I'd just like to know who I'm praying with. And that's you and you're like, hey, I want a relationship with God. 
I want to be forgiven. I want to know him. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up. Ready? One, two, three. Just lift your hand up. Say, that's me. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you, sir. Awesome. God bless you. If you lifted your hand, we're going to bow our heads. We're just going to pray together, whether you're in person or online, and you lifted your hand. It's not, it's not the words, it's the heart. That's what prayer is about. It's just talking to God from your heart. It's not having the right words. But if you need forgiveness, if you want to know God today, you can. It's freely given. We just freely receive it. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and you can use your own words or you can use mine, but it would be something like this. You'd say, God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died and rose again. I believe that he came to give me life. He came to give me forgiveness. He came to give me peace. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me and make me a new creation, as your word says. Help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray for those who prayed that prayer, God, that even in this moment, they would sense your presence and know that you're near, know they've been forgiven. God, and know that they have a relationship with you, that they can grow as they continue to walk with you and talk with you. God, for all of us today, God, help us to make the right choice and to choose joy, especially in this season. God, I pray that joy would fill all our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise? God is so good. If you need prayer, you lifted your hand, we would love to pray with you. Or if you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Um, Man, I wish you a wonderful week. I hope to see you on Christmas Eve. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next weekend.